Yes, I played Little League growing up, and um, I don't think it, it's not that I was a, a bad athlete. I feel like I was relatively a good athlete. I believe that the reason for my downfall in anything like sports related, uh, especially as a young kid until I hit college, um, was my ADD. I was so ADD. Like, I was that kid that, like, I was fairly athletic. The coach put me at shortstop. Um, even as a lefty, he put me at shortstop. I could, like, grab the ball and, like, turn and spin. Uh, but I was so ADD that I'd be out there, and I'd just be, like, moonwalking from second base to third base. I'd be kicking rocks at, and, and throwing them at the first baseman. Like, I'm, I was just, like, so ADD, I couldn't focus. So, so the coach... Uh, who, who really cared about me. His name was Coach Rudy. He, he, uh, he was an awesome guy. He drove like one of those old lowrider bicycles and uh, turns to find out, like we always wondered why he was always riding his bike. Uh, it's because our coach was the coach from Bad News Bears and he had a DUI, so he had to ride a bike everywhere he went. Um, so Coach Rudy was, was, a cool, was, a, was a great guy. He was just, you know, down on his luck. Uh, he, he, was riding, he was riding his bike everywhere. He would smoke black and mild cigars for like his entire life, so he had a really raspy voice. And uh, he, would, he would scream from the dugout to me as a little leaguer. He would scream to the dugout because I was always moonwalking and throwing rocks, not paying attention. I was, I was in the right place, but I wasn't positioned or postured, so I wasn't available or ready to receive what, what was coming my way. So, so I remember there was a time where, where Coach Rudy was screaming from the dugout. He's like, hey, Luna, butt to the ground, ball's going to get found. And, and, and he literally meant like, like get, in the right, get in the ready position, right? Because in baseball, when you're fielding, you want, you want to get low, and you want, the lower your butt is to the ground, the more able you are to, to jump and, and, and hop on a ball. But, but I was busy moonwalking from second to third, and I wasn't paying attention. So Coach Rudy would always say, butt to the ground, ball's going to get found. And it, it was just an awesome thing. I, it always stayed with me. And, and for some reason, while I was studying in 1 Corinthians 12, while I was getting prepared for this message, I just felt like the Spirit was reminding me of Coach Rudy and that, that sage man with the DUI way back when, and it was just, was just dropping a word of truth in me. And it was this, that spiritually, some of us are in the right place. We're playing in the game, but we're not positioned or postured to receive what the Lord is throwing our way. That, that there is a specific way for us to receive from God. And if you come to church and you're always saying, well, I'm not getting fed, then, then I would submit to you, unless, unless heresy is being preached, then perhaps you're not positioned or postured the way the Lord would want you because you're not ready to receive what he's throwing your way. God is good. God ourselves, how do we posture ourselves? What, what does it mean to be positioned? Well, it's being in the right place. And so far, so good. If you're in the place, you're doing good. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you're, you're doing good. You're, you're, you're positioned to receive from God, but how do we posture? What is the stance we should assume? And I'm going to submit to you this prayer. Prayer is the posture to, to, to assume and to receive everything that God would throw our way. There's a reason, uh, even, even worship. Do you, you ever realize why we lift up our hands in worship? The posture of worship displays emotionally and, and internally what we're trying to to have happen. When my hands are outward, it's usually a sign. When our hands are outward, this is biblical teaching too. When our hands are outward, it's, it's almost of us magnifying and glorifying God. But, but when we posture our hands and shift that stance to inward, we're saying, God, I, I want to receive from you with outstretched arms. I, I want to receive from you. So can we just do something? Because we are in a series called The Gifts of the Spirit. And I believe that we have been building up to this very moment. And I believe that God wants to bless and speak to every single one of us. This isn't a series for those who've been walking with Jesus for, 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 for generations. It's not just for you. This is for someone, if you are just new to the church, I believe that God wants to bless and speak to you this morning. So let me just 
we just posture ourselves? And can I just, can I just pray over what we're about to jump into? Let's pray, Father in heaven. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you that as he sent you, you came to your people, that you remind us of the words of Christ. Thank you that you teach us all truth. And we pray this morning as we jump into a topic that is, pray that your sweet Holy Spirit, Lord, would comfort us and remind us of the words of Jesus. We need you, Lord. We need you. You're so good. You're so faithful. You have something for every single one of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So we're in this series, The Gifts of the Spirit. This is week two, and I, and I asked for permission last week. I said, hey, listen, um, uh, kind of like, remember that story I shared when I was painting my, my basement uh, bedroom, that there was blue walls all over the place, and uh, my wife wanted to go from a, a, a deep sea blue to a, a soft yellow, and we went straight from deep sea blue, and we just started painting with soft yellow, and, and because we did not use a primer, to this day, when you walk down there, you still see these little spots of blue, just saying, hey, what's up, I'm still here. And, and I would say to us that in, in, the, in the things regarding the Holy Spirit, I believe that many of us, if not all of us in this place, we need to kind of paint a primer over our, the walls of our theology when it comes to the Holy Spirit to kind of just allow the things that we've been learning to, 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 to adhere themselves that much clearer. Amen? So we started talking last week. We brought up two things. We said, uh, who is the Holy Spirit? Right? Who is the Holy Spirit? And, and we define it as this way. Uh, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not an energy, it's not a force, it's not an it, it's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. We could spend months on the Trinity alone. We also said this, that the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our comforter, our counselor. We said that the Holy Spirit is the one who Jesus would send. We said that the Holy Spirit is the one who takes residence in our lives and renews us. You remember that time when the moment you got saved, it was almost like everything was just swept away, like everything was just falling off. But we also say, biblically, when we look to the scriptures and we allow the scriptures to define our theology, that there is a second encounter that happens after salvation known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see this in every single gospel account. We see this in, in Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3. John chapter 1, and we also see this. Jesus says this of himself in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. It's that same statement that John baptized with water, right? But I will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. How many of you are thankful that he baptizes us with his Holy Spirit and with fire? That although he takes residence in our lives, at the moment we get saved, we have the fullness of the Spirit, but God's desire is that we would overflow and be immersed in his presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So we said this, that we, we see most biblically, we, we see some, some signs that follow that baptism, and we said it's, it was tongues. We see this in Acts chapter 2. We see this in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, and it, implicitly in Acts chapter 8. Numerous times that the most biblical sign following the spirit baptism is tongues. We're not afraid of that. We don't try to explain that away. Why? Because we answered our second question, which was this. Are the spiritual gifts, or specifically the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is that still for today? 
we said, yes. Yes, it's still for today. Why? Because Jesus taught it would be. Um, we see him say numerous times that this is for all who would believe. And these are the signs that would follow all. They would cast out demons. They would speak, starting in verse 8, that they would uh, uh, heal. They would cast out demons. They would speak in other tongues. Like when we see this long litany of what Jesus said would accompany those who believe. And how many of, I mean, I, mean, I don't we have to raise hands, but are we still believing to this day? Yes. Then why would the signs not accompany us? Well, some have said it's because the spiritual gifts have stopped, or the theological term that they use is ceased. Um, so they have created a category within the, within the Christian tradition known as cessationism, which specifically believes that the spiritual gifts have stopped. Now, why would they stop? Uh, many of the Word of God. That because we have the Word of God fully compiled, it's not just floating around from church to church, but they had the Second Council of Nicaea. They got together. They said, all right, what are our scriptures? We're going to put this together. They, they compiled it at around eight, uh, AD 300. They officially compiled it together. They said, this is canonical. This is not. Now that we have the canonical Word of God, then, then we're done. We, we, we're no longer in need of the gifts of the Holy Spirit because we have all of the prophecy we'll ever need. We have all of the power we'll ever need, all the authority we'll ever need. And while I will never for one second diminish the significance, the authority, the inerrancy of the Word of God, I will say this, we don't have just in the Word of God all the power that we need. We need also His Holy Spirit. They are not in, in, in competition. They are not contradictory. They are held in perfect tandem. Everything the Holy Spirit does will be in the Word of God. It will never be contrary. It will never usurp the Word of God. It will always complement the Word of God. But we also, we also see this, that the Bible records that all believers would, would receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that they, all believers would, would uh, experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, 1 Peter 4, we can, we can listen to the podcast, we'll jump deeper in there. But 1 Corinthians 13 was that text that, that many cessationists would use, and I just want to really quickly read this and then just bring some clarity uh, for anyone who's confused, because I remember when I was, and I, I was just so frustrated. But let's read this passage. I remember this is what a cessationist uh, told me. They said, well, look at what 1 Corinthians 13 says. It says, love never ends, right? We all know that. Thank you, Lord. Love's never going to end. We'll be in heaven. There'll still be love. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away, specifically a word of knowledge, which is one of the spiritual gifts. We'll talk about that. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes... The partial will pass away. Now, the cessationists have taught the perfect word of God or the time when the apostles passed away and there was no longer a need for the apostolic office. Now, if you would have stopped reading there, you could have seen where there, there may have been some room for belief that maybe the gifts did stop because that's what they're specifically discussing there, the partial being the, the gifts of the Spirit. That those will pass away when the perfect comes. But, but we have to ask ourselves, what is the perfect that he's talking about? Well, let's go to the next verse. Literally the next verse. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Ways. I just sounded like Sean Connery. Ways. For now, let's get back in the Word. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, right? Like, like, like isn't that what... what, what what reality is, we, we see in a mirror dimly, we don't know all things. He says this, but then, everybody say then, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then, everybody say then, 
then I shall know fully, for even as I have been fully known. Now, let me ask you this. We have the Word of God. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's inerrant. We should be reading it. We shouldn't be afraid of it. It's great. Read it in its context. But when I read that passage in its context, he is not talking about Scripture. Why? Because although I have the Scripture, I don't know things as I am fully known. I don't know God as he fully knows me. When will that day happen? It will happen when Christ, the perfect one, comes again. So, so, so using this passage, when does the partial pass away? When the perfect comes. Is the perfect here? Is Jesus here yet? Has he returned for his church? Are we up in heaven? Do we know all things? Do, do we no longer have a need for prophecy or knowledge or tongues? No. We still, therefore, we still need the gifts of the Spirit. I am still in I still need the gifts of the Spirit. Friend, you still need the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know what I found as, as beautiful this week as I was studying for this, for this sermon? I'm, do we have any people who are, maybe you're a fact-driven individual, like you love, like show me the numbers, give me the facts. We got anybody like that in this place? Give me the objective source. Uh, it was from Pew Research. It was from... It was confirmed by How Stuff. Actually, it was an article written by HowStuffWorks.com. If you ever listen to the How Stuff Works podcast, you know those guys. Um, they're they're very scholarly. They're very academic, but they are um, they're also very um, I wouldn't say anti-Christian. They're they're obviously uh, agnostic at best, right? They they don't believe. They're not Christians. Um, so so they they approach everything with a a hint of. Um, kind of, uh, what should I say, not cynicism, but they're just at an arm's length. Everything religious, like you just listen to that and they're just like, uh, there's logic to explain there. So they wrote this article about Pentecostalism, this idea of, of after Azusa Street Revival, which happened in 1907, when uh, Pentecost or the gifts of the Spirit were, more, were vibrant once again in America and how that spread around the world. Since that date in 1907, what has happened with this idea of Pentecostalism? And just by the way, um, we, we invite all people into this church, but we are unashamedly a Pentecostal church. I'm unashamedly a Pentecostal preacher. Uh, I am ordained with the Assemblies of God. And that doesn't mean that I hold anybody in arm's length. That means I love all people. Everyone's welcome. Listen, I was a Catholic boy, and uh, an AG church loved me. So uh, we're the same way here, okay? So, so let, me, let, me just, let me just read some of the interesting facts that were in this article by HowStuffWorks.com. Uh, I, I got some on the slides there. Literally says facts. I want to read this. The Protestant Reformation, led by Martin Luther, happened 500 years ago. Uh, we celebrated that as a church. And it claims 75 million Christians worldwide. Incredible. In 500 years, 75 million Christians. Additionally, among Christian Baptists, there are claims of 40 million worldwide. And, and some of them are uh, Reformed Catholics, so that there's some bleed over in that number. Look at this next slide. In less than 115 years since the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles, California, Pentecostalism, which is specifically the belief that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, they're for here and they're for now. It's nothing kooky, nothing weird. Look what it says. Pentecostalism, Christian Pentecostalism, has grown from zero to 300 million adherents worldwide, making it the fastest-growing Christian or Catholic brothers and sisters who are at 1.2 billion now, uh, it also says, in fact, in 1980, 6% of global Christians were Pentecostal. By 2015, that percentage jumped to 25%, with the largest concentration in the Southern Hemisphere, Africa, Southeast Asia. Powerful things are happening around the world. 
We're so dominated by our Western news that we forget that there is a move of the Spirit that is happening all around the world. And many of those are closed countries to the gospel where there is oppression and the Spirit of God is moving powerfully. And as much as I love theology and as much as I thank the Lord for reformers and as much as I thank God for our our strong theologians of the faith, can I say this? I would rather take a spirit-filled, empowered individual than 5,000 volumes of theology books. Now, I've got them in my office, and I read them, and I study them. We should study to show ourselves approved, as Paul says. But nothing in the entire world will ever, ever supplement the power of the Holy Spirit. Let those numbers speak for themselves. We are on a baggage that comes with it. Because let's be honest, there's some weird people in our household. Like, like when you look across the, the scope of Pentecostalism, there's just some weird things happening. And, 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 and we can say that we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're going to hold things up to Scripture. If it doesn't glorify Jesus, it's not for us. If it makes anybody feel like they're less of a Christian, it's not for us. That's not the We are not for one minute going to shy away from the full gospel being proclaimed. So, because of that, we have uh, some more questions. Everybody say primer. We've got a couple more strokes of, of, of our theological walls that we need to paint a primer towards. There's four questions I want to ask today uh, or answer today. The first one is this. I'm just going to read them, and then we're going to answer them in a second. What are the gifts, and who are the gifts given to? I'm sorry. No, no. What are the gifts, and how are they organized in the Bible? That's the first or the third question of our six questions. First and second were last week. Three is, what are the gifts and how are they organized in the Bible? Four is, who are the gifts given to? Five is, why are the gifts given? And six is, how should the gifts be used? So it is my hope next week that we are going to spend time in 1 Corinthians 12 for the next couple of weeks and break down every single one of the gifts that are listed in that portion of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 12, it is the longest, actually 1 Corinthians, the letter to the epistle to the Corinthians, is the longest portions of Scripture that we have regarding the gifts of the Spirit. There are only in four places uh, in all of Scripture. Now, they're, they're hinted in many ways, but there are four places where they are explicitly listed, and we see that in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4, in Romans chapter 12, and also in 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, four places. You can write those down if you want to go and study them on your own time. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, and also in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, if we were to uh, break up these spiritual gifts, if we were going to define them, or if I was going to define these for you, I could read what Sam Storms, uh, he's actually a Reformed author himself, so a, a Reformed pastor writing about the gifts of the Spirit. It's, it's like... It's like putting anchovies on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's almost like that never happens. But this guy is a spirit-filled individual. Who, uh, just really cool. He actually said that about himself. He's like, I don't know how, but I am. He says this, spiritual gifts are the Holy Spirit coming to varying degrees of manifestation and or display in and through the life of every Christian. The Spirit works through weak, broken, ordinary, struggling, saved by grace individuals in order to put himself and his power on display. Thank you, Sam Storms, for that very technical definition. Really good. But let me just simplify it. I'll do it by this way. Spiritual gifts are the ways the Holy Spirit displays his power through the Christian for the strengthening of the entire church. So really quick, 
Spiritual gifts for the strengthening of the entire church. That's a simplified definition. Um, so, so the gifts are not creepy. Can we just be honest? Like, they're not creepy. Um, you have likely been used and have seen them, and, and you never even notice them. Uh, I, I don't draw much attention to this, but there are many times where I come up here and I just say, uh, usually from the Word of God, I'm like, hey, you know what? I just, I just sense that the Spirit of God is saying this. I don't come up here and say, thus saith the Lord, and start speaking in King James Version and like, you know, just like, uh, no, but you know what that's called? And we're going to talk about this. I, I, those, those are called prophetic words where God illuminates something in his word and, 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 it, and specifically in power brings it to certain individuals. There have been times where I've gotten up here and I said, I just sense that, that there is some person who is in this place. Uh, I did it a couple years ago. I believe God is doing a shift in our church to, to start fostering and adopting. And we've got like nine families now who are in that process. And we actually have 12 people who have signed up and we're actually going to start a class October. You'll get an email soon. Um, but we also, I mean, we, we see this kind of stuff happen all the time. And if you've ever been creeped out, it's probably because there was a lot of pride coming with that gift that was being displayed. They don't have to be creepy. The gifts of the Spirit are not creepy. Um, they are not parlor tricks. Um, we have seen them done as parlor tricks. There was a guy named Peter Popoff in the 1980s who would wear an earpiece and say, there's a woman named uh, uh, Bethany, and uh, she's got this many kids. And it's what she filled out a Connect card, and her, his wife was in the back reading off the Connect card. Uh, the, the gifts of the, that was an abuse. That was not a gift of the Spirit. So some people have said, therefore, it is all fake. We threw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, that guy was even had a ripple effect in the church where even my generation was raised with this, uh, ugh, I don't want any of that. They're not parlor tricks. The gifts of the Spirit, they're not learned. I, I can't say, okay, next week we're going to have a, a school of apostleship, and everybody come, and we're going to learn how to be apostles. Like, you, you can't learn the gift. You can learn about the gifts and how they function, and that's what we're going to do. But I'm not going to say, all right, now it's time for you to manifest this gift and this gift and this gift. Like, I'm not Oprah. I'm going to say, you get a gift, and you get a gift. and you, Like, it's just, we're not going to do that. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit are not earned. We don't earn the gifts. Um, the gifts of the Spirit are, can I say that again? They're, they're not earned. We don't give our children birthday gifts because they've earned it. Uh, we give them birthday gifts because they are in relationship with us. Likewise, the Father desires to give us gifts simply out of relationship. These gifts are not meant to manipulate others, and they're not for our own selfish gain. So how are they organized? Well, really quickly, I just want to tell you, um, we have, again, those four passages of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. That's where we explicitly see list of spiritual gifts. Um, but if I were to organize it, I, I, I enjoy the, the way my friend uh, Tim Enlow organizes it. He says there's manifestation gifts, there's motivation gifts, and there's gifts uh, of, of ministry. The ministry gifts are found in Ephesians chapter 4. Those are like the offices. Remember when he says, and God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are the gifts of the body of Christ. Uh, so you're welcome. Just kidding. Super arrogant. All right, let's keep going. So there's the ministry gifts, right? The ministry gifts, and there's the, the, the manifestation gifts, and then there's the motivation gifts. The manifestation gifts are found in 1 Corinthians 12, and the motivation gifts are found in Romans 12. Um, I would organize the Roman, the, the gifts, uh, the, the, man, the manifestation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 the way Dennis and Rita Bennett do in the book, The Holy Spirit in You. Uh, there's the gifts of inspiration, the gifts of power, and the gifts of revelation. I know right now we're probably flying through this, but in the weeks to come, I promise we're going to be unpacking all of this. Um, but I just want to show us that, that Scripture does organize the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, where, we're gonna, where we are going to be spending the majority of our time, 
we are going to see the gifts of manifestation, the, manifest, the manifesting gifts. Uh, if we were going to write every single gift out, there's approximately 20, depending on who you're talking to, 20 or 21. Um, but we are going to be looking at the, the 12 that are in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, we're not going to be looking at the office gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. We're, that's going to be explained. 1 Corinthians 12. So what was happening in 1 Corinthians, uh, or what was happening in, in Corinth? There's not a 1 Corinthians church and a 2 Corinthians church. Same church, two letters. In 1 Corinthians, uh, darn it, I did it again. In Corinth, in Corinth, the church was a spirit-filled church. They were unrivaled to any other church in all of uh, Asia Minor in this period. Um, they moved freely and powerfully in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, so, so this is not a foreign issue to them, but they are kind of doing a little wonky things. I think Popoff started going to that church and doing some weird things. And, uh, so, so, now, so now Paul is writing to clarify and clean up some, some things that were happening in the church. And this is where we, where we see this. And this is where Paul starts in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, uh, male and female, I do not want you to be uninformed. Everybody say uninformed. Another word would be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant, or the way maybe my coach Rudy would say, don't be ignorant, right? Like, uh, <laughs> uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed. I want you to, I want you to know these things that I'm about to teach. Don't, don't, don't shy away from them. Don't be a, uh, kind of nervous about them or apprehensive. Don't, don't be unaware. I want you to be informed is what he's saying. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray. Jesus be cursed. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Specifically saying, the Spirit of God will always honor the Son of God. Always. Continues on, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. It's a variety of gifts, but it's all the same. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Remember that. Verse 8, to one, now he gets to the list. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. He's saying all this is coming from the spirit of God. It's all coming from the same source. All of these gifts are, are from God to his children. And he distributes them just as he determines. I love that it says he distributes. It doesn't say we earn or we figure it out or we work our way towards. He distributes as he determines because he's sovereign. So just as a body, continues on, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, how many of you are thankful to be a part of the body of Christ? You as an individual... It's, you're not a lone ranger. Even though you may be sitting, sitting in your own seat, you are a part of a body. You are loved. 
You are cared for. God has perfectly knit you and fashioned you to be a perfect piece of this body of Christ. If you feel like, uh, maybe I don't belong here, I'm here to tell you that is the enemy lying to you. You belong. You belong here. You are called to be a part of the body of Christ. So he says, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, Republican or Democrat, you know where I'm going with this. All of us, Christians, all of us are called, we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, verse 27, you are the body of Christ. Apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Now, he's not bringing up a list of, of preference. He's not saying, okay, on this on this podium, like kind of the Olympics. Dun, 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 dun. He's like, apostles, prophets. Like, no, no, he's, he's literally calling out the order in which they can. We started with the apostles, then the prophets, then the teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. And he ends with 31. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So this is the passage we're going to be unpacking for the next couple of weeks. I pray that we get familiar with it. Um, we want to answer a couple more questions. The first one is this. Why are the gifts given? Well, I'm thankful the Word of God answers our question this morning. Why are the gifts given? The answer is found in verse 7 of the text that we just read. Now, to each one, the manifestation, that word manifestation, manifestos, would, would, would literally mean um, the display Right? Now, to each one, the display of the Spirit is given for the common good. Why does God give the gifts of the Spirit? For the common good, for the benefit of us all. Uh, how many of us enjoy receiving gifts? Show of hands. Tell the truth. Okay. Uh, how many of you enjoy those gifts that your parents used to give you that were like, this is a gift for the family? And you're like, but it's my birthday, right? Like, well, my, my parents used to do that. They, they, they would they'd get us a Nintendo 64, and it's like on my birthday. Like, hey, here's a Nintendo 64. But that was a gift that, w that really was for the whole family. We'd sit there, and we'd just, like, we'd be playing, like, GoldenEye 007, and just, like, for, for days, for days. Like, just pizza, Mountain Dew, and GoldenEye. Like, that was life. That was a life. Life was so simple. Then they also bought us a gift one time. It was a trampoline, and that gift that was given to me on my birthday became a gift for the entire the gifts of the Holy Spirit are intended to be the same way. Although God will, will give you that gift, maybe, maybe it is a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or a word of prophecy, or maybe it is a tongue and interpretation. Although the gift is, is, is given to you in the moment, as God determines, that gift is intended to be for the common good. It's intended to bless everyone. Not one person should be left out when the gifts are given. But we know they're given to or the reason they're given to us is for the benefit of everyone. So who are the gifts given to? Our, our other question, who are the gifts given to? Let me say this. They're not set aside for the religious elite. They're not set aside for the leaders of the church. It's not just for those who have gone to X amount of uh, Sunday school classes. It's not for those who have hit their, their monthly quota of tithes and offering. Um, which was not a thing, by the way. Uh, don't worry. Uh, 
I'm just trying to tell you that, that the gifts aren't, aren't reserved for a few individuals in the church who have earned their way, which is what I feel like is sometimes you go to church and it's just so smug and uptight that you've got to earn your way to... No, no, no. The gifts... Can, you ready for this? Who are they available to? All believers. All believers. All believers. It was Philip, the, the, the lay pastor, wasn't in full-time ministry. He was a deacon in the church who went to Samaria and started a revival. It was Stephen, a deacon, who was the first one that spilt his blood for the body of Christ, other than Jesus, after Jesus. Who, who gets used by the gifts? And actually, both of them prophesied and were used in miraculous gifts of healing. Who are they for? Everyone. All believers. All believers. And yet, God still distributes them as he determines. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. So while they're available to all of us, we need to understand that it is the sovereignty of God that says, okay, it's time for this, it's time for this, it's time for this. God is sitting up, kind of out, and he's calling plays, and he says, all right, it's time to do this out. It's time to do this out. And, and, and he gives these spiritual gifts as we need them. He's so faithful. He's so good. So 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all the, all the gifts of the Spirit are the works of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. I want to be careful here because some can fall into the kind of false way of thinking that says, well, if the gifts of the Spirit aren't moving, then maybe God hasn't determined for them to, to be flowing in our service. Like, he just hasn't determined this. Can I say this? God determines for the gifts of the Spirit to move a lot more than you desire them. His desire is that they move a lot more than, than you want them. Um, and, and, and I'm just going to tell you that, that the, the reason why the, the, the gifts of the Spirit aren't flowing is because we are standing at an arm's length from them. God is not just going to come down and rest like a, like a tongue of fire on one person and say, okay, now it's time to prophesy, and then you get up and you start prophesying. It takes a measure of faith and belief to be used and flow in the gifts of the Spirit. I specifically wrote, the spiritual gifts are available to all believers, but the ones that typically operate them or flow in them are those who trust God, step out in faith, are mature in Christ. It, it takes a level of, of, of stepping out in faith. I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I, I, when we got up here, I, I felt like the Spirit wanted to, was wanting to heal someone's elbow. And I, I came up here, and I kind of I timidly threw it in, in, in a part. Like, that wasn't the main thing. It was just a subcategory. I, I felt the Spirit was moving and healing, and people were healed. It was the day Paul was just like, I'm stepping out. And you know what? Paul even had to step out in faith and take that brace off and say, God has healed me. And he's still healed to this day. Give it up for the Lord and for his work in Paul's life. But his step of faith encouraged us, which encouraged me to come up and lead the congregation. And God was healing and doing crazy, awesome things. And, and eventually, I, I said, I was like, you know what, I just, I, I sense, by the Spirit of God, I sense that someone's elbow is kind of hurt. I just kept going. I, I, didn't, I didn't call anything out. Well, at the end of service, someone approached me and said, Pastor, that was me. And I didn't even, I wish I would have stopped and, and used that, but it takes a measure of faith to step out. That's what God is doing. Faith isn't knowing 100% because then it's no longer faith. Even 51%, even 10%. It takes a measure of faith and trust in God. But then this is one that is overshadowed and overlooked. It's absolutely necessary 
maturity in Christ. Who are the gifts given to? Those who trust God, step out in faith, and are mature in Christ. I I, I would illustrate it this way. Um, Salvation, the moment we are saved, we are given a, a license to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But our insurance is maturity. When you are saved, you are given a license to operate in the spiritual gifts. But your insurance policy, what's going to keep you safe, what's going to keep you ready for the road, is your Christian maturity. Because how you operate the vehicle is absolutely important. So how, that brings us to our fourth que- or our final question, how should the gifts be used? The gifts should be used with maturity. Everybody say maturity. In fact, did you know this? It was a lack of maturity that Paul did not teach on the gifts of the Spirit earlier to the church in Corinth. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look what he says. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, which would have been about a year prior to the letter that he was writing, so a year ago when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were still infants in Christ. I had to feed you, he says, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food. You you weren't ready because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And he says, you still aren't ready. Why not? Is it because they haven't gone to enough Sunday school classes and they haven't read enough theology books and tonicers or the disqualifiers for the gifts of the Spirit? Look what he says. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like the people of the world? You're not ready to receive the gifts of the Spirit. Or saying like my hair them, because you're still fighting and arguing and, and you're still jealous of each other. Saying like my hair looks better and like, like it was just ridiculous, right? Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? That not one of you should be elevated higher than the other? That not one of you should be on a pedestal, but that, that you are all together the body of Christ? Stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise, quit quit being like a a show-off and a know-it-all. If you think you are wise by the world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Notice what the categories, notice what categorizes someone as an infant in Christ in this passage. According to Paul, it isn't based on biblical intellect or knowledge or how long they've been serving Jesus. That's not maturity. Uh, now, that could produce maturity, but that's not what he's talking about. I know people who have been going to church for years, and they can rattle off some scripture, but, but none of that makes them mature in Christ. What makes you mature? The willingness to be submitted to the Spirit of God. According to Paul, what makes us ready to receive any deeper teachings about God is living with a genuine desire for spirit-inspired ability to be self-controlled, to be humble, to be patient and peaceful, to be loving, united, and wise. Literally extracting those words, the opposite of what was displayed. People were living in their sinful nature. What is the opposite of that? Why were they living in their sinfulness? Because they weren't humble. They were at peace with others. They were looking about how they can elevate themselves and fighting against the unity of the body. What's the opposite of that? Love, which leads to unity. And they were boastful and arrogant and proud. 
Because that's sometimes what happens when you're flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. You get prideful if you don't have a check on yourself. And what is that a sign of? You weren't being wise. And as I was praying and studying in 1 Corinthians, it, the Lord just opened up my eyes to see something I've never seen before. What is self-control, humility, patience, peace, love, unity, wisdom? You see this in the gifts of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5. What the Holy Spirit produces as a byproduct of being in His presence, the Spirit produces the kind, this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Oh, Lord, may your spiritual gifts be moving in this church. That people would know you and see you. That people would be on the street and just experience your presence from the streets. That we would go to our workplaces and your presence would be with us. But may they never be something that happens outside of the fruit of the Spirit. Can I just submit to you that any, that your effectiveness to flow in the gifts of the Spirit are directly tied to your willingness to display the fruit of the Spirit? Let me read that again. Your effectiveness to flow in the gifts of the Spirit is directly tied to your willingness to form fruit of the Spirit. You want to give a word of prophecy, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge? You're like, Pastor, I don't even know what that is. That's because you've got to come next week. I'm breaking these down. But if you want to flow in these, and you don't want to walk in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness that God is using in you, is looking over, he's moving despite you. He's overlooking because he's gracious and merciful. He's looking over your character flaws, and he's being God. I never want God to work despite me. I want to work with him. I want my character be character to be that like Christ. So let me just summarize. The, the spiritual gifts are not weird, they're not creepy. They're presents from God, available to his children for the advancement of the church. Not so any one person can look better than another. Not so that we can build a hierarchy structure in the church where we say, well, this person has been used in this gift, so they're clearly better than everyone else. No, so that everybody can be blessed. The spiritual gifts are given because God loves us, and they are for everyone's benefit, like a Nintendo 64 or a trampoline. While the gifts are available to everyone, it is still God who distributes them as he sees fit. You know what we saw seeing people get healed in this church. We got word this week of someone who uh, was with child and had complications. And the Lord healed the entire situation. But the doctor came, took a sonogram, and was like, wait, there's nothing here. Nothing at all. That's healing. The Lord distributed that as he saw fit. And the gifts of the Spirit will always flow with the fruit of the Spirit. And I want the fruit. morning, Yes, let's desire spiritual gifts. But I want the fruit to flow right with them. I want to encourage you with this story. I 
told you it takes a measure of faith to step out. I was a junior when I got saved by my senior year. I was just devouring the word of God. Like I just, I wanted nothing to do with anything of the world. I just wanted just me and Jesus. Uh, didn't have Christian parents. Didn't have Christian household. Uh, I was literally alone. But it was me and Jesus. So I had everything I all ever needed. And I was just devouring the word of God. And I was reading through the book of Acts. And I was seeing the power. Reading about the gifts of the Spirit. I said, God, I want to I be used in these ways. And what's beautiful is that when I read, when we read the book of Acts, these aren't historical, uh, biographical accounts of what used to happen. These are our stories. So I, I would go into situations saying, like, this is my story. I, we can see healing. I had a friend. His name was Stephen Garcia. In fact, he was the kid who led me to the Lord. We were on a, on a drama team together. We did ministry. It was a fine arts. We, we did a human video. Uh, we went to the state. We actually won state, and we were going to nationals uh, for a human video. Yes, I was a human video. <laughs> I was in a human video. <laughs> but uh, it was a great ministry. It was powerful. It was anointed. God was using it in our, in our neighborhood, in our community. And uh, we were going to go to Florida to display that. It was kind of like a competition, but a ministry thing, right? And uh, Stephen broke his leg like a couple days before we had to leave. He was a skateboarder, broke his leg. And we were all bummed out because he was like, he's the guy who was playing Jesus. And you can't really do a good human video if there ain't no Jesus because then it's not really that good, right? Like no one gets crucified. No one gets resurrected. No one's getting held back by demons. <laughs> That's every human video, right? It's pretty, pretty much summarizing. If you didn't know, now you know. Right? And, and Stephen broke his legs, or broke his leg, two places, fractured them. And I'm like, you know what? I know for a fact that God wants us to go to Florida. Like, I, I just don't want to be the kind of person like, well, this happened for a reason. Sometimes I feel like we use that as a cop-out, but the real reason is that God wants us to pray in faith and see healing. So, so I, I was like, you know what, Steve? Listen, dude, like, there's, you know, we were best friends. I feel like God wants me and a couple of us to, to pray for your leg and he's gonna heal you dude so we just got there cast and everything and, and we're just like in the name of Jesus we pray healing in the legs of Steve he's walking around in crutches and God I just pray that you that he would have no need for those crutches that we can throw them and see them on the stage as a sign of your power in this youth group we're praying and we're praying nothing long nothing fancy Stephen stands up throws his crutches. He's like, God has healed me. And he's, he's standing upright and he's, he's in the back of my mind because I'm, I'm a, a very methodical, analytical, sometimes cynical individual. I'm like, oh, it's because he's wearing a cast. And the cast is kind of being used as a brace right now. And oh, God. You know what happened? That week, he went to the doctor. He's like, doctor, take this off because my leg is healed. And Stephen had faith. Stephen goes to the doctor. They, they're like, well, let's, let's take an x-ray first. He takes an x-ray. There is not one fracture in his bone. The doctor takes off his leg. He goes to youth group the next day, and he's like, dude, I'm healed. And we're just, like, going crazy, and I'm just like, God, you really did it. Like, I was there. I prayed for it, and I was like, oh, it happened. It, was, it really happened. Guys, God wants to use you, not so that you can be lifted up, but so that Jesus could be lifted up. Gifts and miracles and signs are what follows the proclamation of the gospel. That he has come to set every captive free. That he has come to deliver. That he's come to create anew in every single person in this city. God desires that revival would break out in the city of Wichita. And yes, I believe that signs should follow the proclamation of the gospel. Oh man, this week I was studying the Azusa Street Revival. 
listening to firsthand accounts of people that were, you know what started it? Or you know what was in the revival? Repentance of sin. Like I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I don't want the Spirit, of, I don't want the, the works of the flesh in my life. I want, the, I want your fruit in my life. So, repentance and lots of prayer. Now, I'm not trying to give a recipe for it. Like I just don't think that's right. I believe if we were to look in the Word of God, prayer and repentance is absolutely what we need to walk in the power of God. So I'd like for us to just I know that you know that you want the gifts of the Spirit active in your life. And you may be saying, you know what, Pastor? I was like you. I was raised in a very stoic tradition. You know, I was very prim and proper. I, I believed that the gifts ceased. Uh, they didn't stop, friends. If God gave us the gifts of the Spirit to accomplish a mission, why then, when the mission hasn't been accomplished, would he take away his gifts from us? That's not a good God. That's a mean God. That's a horrible boss. We don't serve a horrible boss. We don't have a mean God. We have a good Father. And every gift that he gave us to accomplish the task, to partner ourselves with the Holy Spirit, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, why would he ever take away his gifts from his children? He hasn't and he wouldn't. Therefore here, therefore now, we need the maturity, the faith to step out. But here's what I want us to do couple of weeks, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to pray and study each and every gift, manifestation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Can we allow this to be our starting point and say from here on out, we're going to prepare our hearts each week. We're going to invite friends who maybe don't even know Jesus, but they're going to see the power of God in this place and get saved on the spot. We're going to see God do powerful things. Like I said earlier, posture is everything. What posture does he want us to assume in this place, in this moment? Worship and prayer. Let's, let's worship Jesus. We still have time. Let's worship. Maybe in your heart you need to repent of some things. Perhaps you got to work out some theological things. My, my urge to you would be don't do it alone. But pray, God, help me display the fruit of your spirit my life. It says that he would produce this in us. Not that we would have to fight for it or work for it, but that he would produce it in us. How? Being in his presence. So let's, let's do that. Can you lead us in some worship?